Hello, and welcome to the Alt Left. Welcome back, everybody, to the Alt Left. It is episode 41, as promised. We are going to be covering the fluffy topic on the eve of the anniversary of 9-11 that I've already forgotten about. Afghanistan. With me are my fellow Mujahideen fighters, the great and reverend Dr. K. May Allah smile upon his soul. <laughs> I I don't even know how to respond to that other than uh, good evening, everyone. And uh, and Matt Poppy Seed Fields. Sure. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Opium, baby. It's one of the biggest trades in Afghanistan. Take, you still taking that morphine for your uh, for your gallbladder there, buddy? If I was, it probably came from Afghanistan. <laughs> no, they make that stuff synthetic. You ever, you ever watch Game of Thrones, Milk of the Poppy? What do you think they're doing? Fucking morphine. Or heroin. But, I mean, really, they're siblings. So, let's talk about Afghanistan. Um, what do we think, guys? Good? Bad? That, that's that country that we're bringing freedom and democracy to, right? No, we stopped bringing them freedom and democracy. Oh, okay. Yeah, we, we decided to finally pull out after 20 years. Oh, so mission accomplished? Mission yeah, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> we we completely uh, we achieved every goal that we ever set out uh, in Afghanistan. We did. To be fair, Afghanistan has absolutely one hundred percent achieved every goal it was intended for, which was to make a handful of people very, very rich and very, very powerful. That that's exactly right. Uh, that was the whole reason why we were there. America, fuck, fuck yeah. yeah. So besides America's involvement, Afghanistan's got a, a long history of this crap. We did not invent this game. Um, we are literally the kids who showed up at the end and played a new round. Um, this has been going on for a long time. So the question kind of is, is why? Because Afghanistan doesn't have a lot. Again, yeah, they grow a lot of uh, a lot of opium, a lot of you know poppy seeds, that kind of shit. And they have some seriously valuable rare earth minerals, but that's a very recent thing. Yeah, in the 1800s, no one was like, "Oh my God, lithium! Fuck yeah!" No, no one cared. Um, that, yeah, that comes with the invention of the of the circuit and the microchip. Why give a crap about this country? Because Afghanistan is it's, it's a rocky mountain desert region. It doesn't have fertile crops. It doesn't have anything gold mines. It doesn't have anything really exploitable. Um, and most Americans think of Afghans as Middle Eastern, but they're actually closer to Eastern European uh, in ethnicity. Like they're they're a lot closer to Hungarians than they are Saudi Arabian. So again, the kind of the question is why this has been. Again, America did not start this. Uh, Afghans been the target of every would be conqueror and empire since Alexander the Great. Um, he took it over. He was kind of the first in recorded history because we're talking ancient Greeks. Who knows how long it's been going on? Afghanistan wasn't even a country at that point. It was a region of tribal people. Um, but yeah, he took it over after him. You know, and again, that's they have the the that that Greek Alexandrian Empire, um, that that Hellenistic vast swath he carved out that immediately fell apart after he died. And after he, you know, they all the the, the Greek um, influence leaves. We got you know a lot of one hit wonders like uh, let's see what have we got. I got a timeline here. The the Rashidun Caliphate, which is where you get a lot of the, the original Arab influence in there. Uh, we got the Mongol Empire led by Genghis Khan. He swept right through there. It was one of the first giant regions he took over. I didn't know the Mongols went there. Oh, the Mongols went everywhere, bro. Like that's why like a third of the population of the world is like related to Genghis Khan. Also, Genghis Khan liked a fuck. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> But I thought, it, honestly, I thought they were far enough away there that 
that he hadn't actually gotten there. Nah, dude, Afghanistan's like directly is it's a hop, skip, and a jump west of Mongolia. You have to you have to go through Afghanistan to get to Eastern Europe, uh, and that's kind of been their downfall because of that. So yeah, yeah, the Genghis Khan went in right, and then he got after that. You got the Empire of Timur, which is for all intents and purposes is is Mongols Mark II. Um, then you got the Mughal Empire. You got several Persian empires that completely took it over. You got then you got the Sikh Empire. Uh, and yes, the Sikhs did have a short-lived empire in the early 1800s. That happened. Was that was that during their uh, their rebellious phase before they became all light, you know, light and groovy? Um, you, you should go ahead and ask Sikhs in India fighting Muslims how uh, how light and groovy they feel. Yeah, I they was going to say light and, groovy, not light and groovy, not so much. Yeah, that's fair. My knowledge of of Sikhism is only what I've experienced and learned about here in the U.S., which yes. is probably going to be vastly different. Here people. in the U.S., while there is not a civil war to establish uh, religious control over the nation, no, Sikhs are very peaceful, calm people. But um, they, they're not big fans of having um, their people raped and murdered to death over religion. And so they fight no. back and they're not super peaceful about it. Um, in fact, uh, the only internal assassination done of a prime minister in India was done by her seat bodyguards. Hmm. It was, uh, what's her name? What's her name? Gandhi. No relation. Just a popular name. She was one of the first couple prime ministers after the British left. Uh, I think she might have been the first one. I don't recall. No, I think she was the second one. Anyway, uh, she's one of the early prime ministers after the British left India. And uh, things were getting pretty hard, you know, the British left. And so the economy was struggling and people were struggling. And, you know, it's kind of hard in the first days. And she was going to sell India back to England, basically saying, give me a whole bunch of money and pour a bunch more money back into the country and you can have it back. And her Sikh bodyguards found out about this. and They took her out to the back alley and stabbed her to death. Like the Sikhs do. That's the thing. If you're a good person doing good stuff, you can count on the Sikhs to be your buddy. If you're a bad person doing bad things, don't don't tell the Sikhs because they'll 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 fucking take care of you. They will they will <laughs> knife your ass. Yes, seriously, S- knife your ass. Sikhs don't stand for bullshit, um, which is one of the things I really like about them because they'll sit there and feed orphans and stab anybody who tries to hurt them. Exactly. So yes, they did have an empire where they went through Pakistan and um, Afghanistan, but. That's ancient history. And again, there's there's reason for this. You know, the ancient world, Afghanistan was super important because it's landlocked. Afghanistan's got no oceanfront property whatsoever. It is surrounded by other nations on every single side, by lots of nations, actually. If you look at a map of Afghanistan on the world, it's like the centerpiece of a jigsaw puzzle. So the reason why Afghan's important is be- not just because it's landlocked, but it's the access point to fucking everywhere if you control afghanistan you control all asian access to land trade end of story has been that way since forever and that's why this has been going on so that's why they were conquered in the past in recent histories they've been the doormat to the british the french the russians the americans and it's all part of the empire game It has much less to do with ground trade and more to do with empire building right so in the modern era we got the british and the russians start this off and basically they played the, the shittiest game of risk ever, right? Like Napoleon style. It was dumb. And it was awful. It was called like the great game or something like that. Um, and it was basically Russia was trying to conquer East Asia or at least in, and grab, which again has been Russia's history and forever. Like I would like Hungary and Poland and Kazakhstan, please. They kind of always go back and forth on that. So Russia's conquering, you know, Eastern Europe, Eastern Europe for those reasons. And then the British are in conflict with that because they are desperately trying to keep all of their trade routes open to India, which they own. And they don't like Russians taking over the trade routes from them. So 
Russia and, and, and the British Empire are constantly fighting over territory in Afghanistan, never together. They're never fighting each other because, well, they're both white. Why would they do that? But definitely encouraging tribal warfare and taking over pieces. It's, it's very Cold War style. Man, this game really has been played for a long time. Fuck. It really has been played for a very long time. Again, what we think of as modern history of Afghanistan is just the latest incarnation. If you look into Afghan history, this has been going on for centuries. And so what you have is then in, in, in kind of round three, which is the latest, is what is the current situation in Afghanistan, not just the U.S. pullout. But if we're going to go back over the last few decades, like where how did we get where we are now in terms of modern American imperialism, right? It starts in, in, in 1979. Shit got pretty bad in Afghanistan, uh, Civil War style. There was uh, multiple fighting factions in Afghanistan for control, and the government was not doing a good job of surviving. And in fact, the prime minister literally begged the Soviet Union to come in. Now, this is 79. This is the height of the Cold War. This is the golden age of the Cold War. You know, this is fucking, you know, this is, this is fucking, this is right before Reagan gets in. This is the end of the Carter regime. This is, you know, right around the time of the Iran hostage crisis. Like Cold War is getting nasty. You know, this is, you know, we've we got missiles getting ready to fire all the time. Everyone's talking about it. This is shortly before 99 left balloons. You know, this is, this is where the Cold War gets interesting. And so basically Afghan, the, the prime minister of Afghanistan is begging the Soviet Union to come in and lend aid to his side. And, you know, this is the Brezhnev era. Um, and he was a hardliner, but he didn't like losing. He's the Soviet leader with the greatest eyebrows in history, honestly. You want to see a pair of caterpillars on an angry Russian guy's face? <laughs> Look up Brezhnev. So anyway. Was it two or is it was it one? Oh, they were two. They were twin fuzzy caterpillars. There, there was Got no okay. unibrow. But each one of those brows could have been an average man's unibrow. <laughs> they were they were impressive. Okay. All right. So initially when this happened, they refused because Brezhnev was like, this is stupid. Like, why, why the fuck would we get involved in an Afghanistan civil war? This is just dumb. And then that prime minister who's begging for help gets fucking killed. And his son comes up, becomes a prime minister. And he's like, bruh, Soviet Union, we are begging for your goddamn help. We will welcome your tanks. Come in. Save us. We will become a socialist nation. They were like, eh, fine, fine. <laughs> you know, and, and the Soviet Union leadership was very, was very divided on this. You know, uh, so, you know, Brezhnev's the general secretary, but the party was really divided because half of them were kind of like, hey, these people are asking for help. They want to be socialists. This is our duty. And the other half are like, this is dumb. This is just a, a, a nobody wins scenario. Don't do it. And so finally, the second time after the sun is begging for help, the Soviet Union agrees and they roll tanks in and come in. This is 1980 Soviet Union, bro. Like they don't just roll in with like a mission accomplished banner. They roll in with a fuck ton of tanks and vodka. Like if the Soviet Union comes into your country to make changes, they're going to come in and they're going to stomp their way in. This is not going to be gentle. But again, it's not like they fly in the country. Like they kept their word. They backed the prime ministership and they took, they, they kept true to the side they chose to and they formed a socialist government and took a side in the Civil War and tried to organize a, a good government in, in Afghanistan. But for some reason, this made everyone else in the world mad. Everyone's played the empire game in Afghanistan. Russia took another swing at it. And all of a sudden, that was a bad idea because, you know, now there's the Cold War. And so everyone hates Russia, except for the people on Russia's side and they hate everyone else. So. Well, because fuck the commies, right? Because fuck the commies. And so, of course, in 1980, Moscow has the Olympics. And this led to the first giant boycott we've ever had of the Olympics, where the U.S. didn't go and all NATO didn't go. And God, it was like 60-something countries. Half the world didn't go to the Olympics in 1980. 
Uh, which, boy, did the Soviet Union get a lot of gold medals. Which is why it was so important later on at the next Olympics. I think it was the 84 Olympics where we had that like Russia versus America hockey team thing. Yep. That was the miracle on ice. Wasn't that here in the United States? Uh, yeah, it was here in Los Angeles, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Because we didn't go to the 80 Olympics. So Russia just fucking swept. Yeah. So anyway, so, so this, this happens for years. This, this war goes from 1978 to 1992. This is not happy. This is not gentle. Cause if you know, remember, history doesn't repeat itself, but it sure as fuck rhymes a lot. A long protracted war against fighters in caves in Afghanistan. Sound familiar, boys? Mm-hmm. That's what the Soviet Union was up against. And because they were fighting, it actually united the opposition. Uh, there was a lot of mostly Islamic groups, different guerrilla groups that were fighting back and forth to, to basically fighting guerrilla war against Soviet Union. Um, weren't doing so good, but then they all coalesced into one group, called themselves the Mujahideen Force, which, I mean, Mujahideen, it basically just kind of means anybody, like, there's a direct translation is like, you know, fighters for truth and justice or some shit like that, but basically Mujahideen means they are guerrilla fighters. They're, they're jihadist guerrilla fighters. Like, they have to be fighting for jihad to be Mujahideen. According to the Islamic world, the Westerners tend to call Mujahideen any Islamic fighting force, um, whether jihadist or not. But, so this war killed a shit ton of people. And then, of course, because Russia's doing something, we got involved in the 80s. Uh, this is the Reagan-Bush area, and we spent a bunch of money. Now, we we weren't the number one contributors of cash, actually. Uh, the Mujahideen was funded by a lot of private, wealthy um, Arab partners. Uh, the Islamic, the, the wealthy Islamic world paid a shit ton of money, uh, including people like the Saudi Arabian um, royal family, and a lot of people paid a lot of money. What we did was gave them a lot of weapons. Um, and we gave them a lot of intel on the Russians, you know, because the Mujahideen didn't have a lot of spy satellites in orbit, but we did. And we were more than happy to tell them where the Russians were, what they were doing, how to shoot down a Russian helicopter, how to poison their food, how to do all kinds of shit. And that was the CIA. We put a whole bunch of spooks in there unofficially and trained these guys how to kill Russians. And it worked out really well. Uh, you know, this is where we get to Rambo and Reagan. Um, by the <laughs> way, if anybody wants to see the uh, the third Rambo movie, is Rambo goes to Afghanistan and helps out the fucking Taliban or the, the Freedom Fighters. They were the Freedom Fighters, and he goes there and he blows up Russian helicopters. There's a great scene about it. He does. He does with an RPG. Yep. So yeah, the U.S. supplied all these weapons and ammo, and again, especially CIA info that helped a lot. And they taught them how to fight guerrilla style and how to be terrorists um anyone see the punchline coming yet <laughs> so oh 20 years later yeah so in 1992 is when the democratic republic of afghanistan's last president his name is muhammad uh najibullah he was overthrown and um most of not all but almost all of the Mahajadeen factions signed what was called the peshwar accords uh, where they agreed to not be the DRA anymore and to get together and form a government. But historically, post-revolutionary eras, there's some chaos. Yeah. The revolu- If the revolution is successful, there's some infighting. Just look at Mexico's history. Mexico's got a really cool revolutionary history. And you got the Zapatistas fighting the, the centrist socialists. And, you know, all of a sudden, the king's dead. Well, now, now the different leaders have different ideas. And they got to fight it out. And that's what happened. They couldn't form a united government. Infighting happened. Basically, a bunch of groups trying to hold Kabul all the time. And then after a couple of years of really nasty fighting, I believe it was 94 when it happened, but it was, yep. could have been 93, 95. 94. Oh, it matter, it was 94. Yeah. 94. 
Okay, sounds right. Ninety four sounded right. So yeah, in ninety four, there was a, a small little Pashtun village. Uh, one of the mullahs, whose name was Muhammad Omar, uh, he's the one who emerged victorious. He he was the the last big dick standing, and Pakistan backed him and sent him a bunch of money and funds to keep it. And he created in his movement, which took over the government. These are CIA equipped and trained fighters with the financial backing of Saudi Arabia and Pakistan, Pakistan, um, and they became known as the Taliban, which which translates in, in Pashto to students. Little fun fact. Um, and that's referring to how most people in the Taliban had grown up in refugee camps in Pakistan during the 80s. Uh, and so they were taught in Saudi-backed religious schools, and those schools taught very fundamentalist interpretations of Islam. Uh, what we think when people, you know, well, you hear all these rednecks going, America, and I don't want no Sharia law, and I don't want these Muslims around, and <laughs> they'll cut off your hands if you spit on the street, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, hey, yes, that is the Taliban interpretation of Islam, which is incredibly fundamental. And they're, they're basically the Westboro Baptist Church of well, not really. Actually, ISIS is the Westboro Baptist Church. Yeah. These guys are more like the 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 uh, what's that? God, what's that? Um, Southern what's that Baptist, Lutheran? The, the Missouri Synod. Yeah, Southern oh. Baptist, like Missouri Synod Lutherans, like super fundamental. Like anybody who's not white and straight is bad. <laughs> you think of Mormons without space Jesus, you know that kind of stuff. You know, not to get on a digression here, but I do want to point out at least one thing, just for everyone listening. Yes, Mormon space Jesus is a real thing. Look it up. Yeah, no, but the compare you can make very clear and very accurate comparisons to for, to the Taliban and many Christian fundamentalist groups here in the United States when oh, yeah. it comes to their treatment of women, when it comes to their belief about like drugs and alcohol, like a lot of the stuff are one to one comparisons. Like I, change the word God to Allah, and you've got the exact same groups. I think fundamentally, what a lot of that is is that they. They radicalize people. I think fundamentally it's that that is how all fundamental conservative organizations are. It's, it, it's not even there's a link of American conservative Christianity to conservative Islam. It's that's what fundamentalists do. Fundamentalists do yeah. fundamentalist shit, like pose in front of flags and hold AK-47s. And, and that's kind yeah. of what I was saying is that they radicalize people. Well, that was the point I was trying to get at too, is you see a, there's a popular picture that's gone around of like a Taliban yeah. fighter in front of a, a Afghanistan flag or Taliban flag with a gun and the Koran in his hand. Yeah. And then there's the American girl. And then there's the American girl posing in front of the American flag with a gun and the Bible in her hand. Yep. And, and that's an accurate comparison. That wasn't made that like, if you look at the history of that that's a legit girl that just posted that on her Facebook and these same people fail to see the irony that they are exactly the same as the people they rage against in this other country. The only difference is they call their God, God, and the, the other people call him, call him Allah, you know? And then of course they've got like, you know, the, the, the new Testament 2.0, but as far as belief structures go, there's not a lot of difference. And I just, I've always found it to be this just I, super ironical joke that really, if you just get down to what they believe and the things they're fighting for, People in the U.S. that are pro fighting the Taliban and pro like any war in the Middle East really believe the exact same things as the people they're fighting against or wanting mm -hmm. to fight against. I know that's an aside. I just wanted to make sure make point that out because it's, you know. Absolutely. And I think that's that's legit. OK, you have to cut this out, but just for our conversation. So the miracle on ice was not the Olympics. The miracle on ice was a, was an I thought it was the 84 Olympics. It was actually an ice hockey game um, in Lake Placid, New York. 
I'm pretty sure it was tied to the Olympics, though. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's part of the 80 Olympics. Um. Now, again, I, I'm going off of the movie and then what I looked up about the movie after the fact. Oh, the, the Olympics was boycotted. It was a summer of 80. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And there was a worry that they were going to boycott the Winter Olympics as well, but they didn't because there there was a a, a pissing contest between the U.S. leaders and uh, what's his name? Uh, guy, I think it was the whoever the, the leader of Russia was at the time. It was the guy with the, the thing on his head. Oh, Gorbachev? No, that was later. That was later. Okay. Yeah. Gorbachev was later in the eighties. Okay. So, but anyway, like the two leaders were like talking shit through news conferences and that's why the U S eventually decided not to boycott so they could kick their ass. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was the, and and then the, the, the Soviet bloc boycotted the 84 Olympics here in LA. Yep. 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 So there you go, everybody. They all left does not shy away from being wrong. We look up facts usually while the other people are talking. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. This is what radical religious conservative organizations do. And they don't always have to be religious. There are secular radical conservative organizations. Uh, look at the Oath Keepers. They're not necessarily Christian and they don't agree on which form of Christianity is right. And none of them are fucking Muslim. They're definitely anti-Islamic. But religion isn't what they're about. The Proud Boys aren't a religious organization. They're secular. But conservatism hardcore fundamental conservatism breeds this kind of idiot bullshit behavior. Yep. Yep. And, and that's what we have here with this. So yeah, anyway, so that's what the Taliban is. The Taliban is a, is, is a fundamentalist Islamic conservative organization who believe in the most conservative and, 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 and far, far reaching fundamental interpretations of Islam. You know, this is where women can't go unescorted. They have to cover their faces at all time, blah, you know, that kind of thing. That's what we've always seen mm-hmm. from them. So these guys who grew up in refugee camps because of the U.S. and Russia fighting. And again, a lot of these guys, we're promising the Mujahideen that we're going to rebuild the country when we leave. Once the Russians are out, don't worry, we're going to build roads and hospitals. That'll happen. And of course, it didn't happen. So, it, you know, we got guys like Osama bin Laden. He's a wealthy Saudi. Like people think Osama bin Laden's some grassroots dude. No, Osama, no. the old bin Laden family is one US of the richest in the world. Too? Yeah. 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 Like the, the bin Laden family is incredible incredibly wealthy there's they have saudi oil like these guys have a lot of money but he is hardcore religious he's very islamic and he believed that this was the battle for the soul of islam and so he dumped a shit ton of money into the mahajideen you know again this is Mm -hmm. they got guns and training and intel from us but they got money from islamic um, institutions and, and individuals and he donated a fuck ton of money he became personally involved and then once we reneged on all of our promises, he became very active in the Taliban and eventually obviously became the head of it. You know, once all of Reagan and Bush's promises ran dry, that that's where we ended up is, is we are. And then we all know modern history of then the Taliban attacks, you know, nine 11, all that, but that's because we focused all of their rage on us. Had we just stepped the fuck out, they could have solved this issue with Russia on their own and it wouldn't have involved us. But again, and we see this with Iran and a lot of other areas, when we meddle in these affairs, we end up making sure that the most fundamental and fanatical groups seize control and end up hating us for it. Yep. And that's where we end up. So that's where we are in the 80s. And then again, we all know where this leads with 9-11 and that kind of thing. But you can you can really look to the start of the modern era of this with the Soviet Union and Reagan 
uh, and then later Bush. And again, going back centuries, this is this is a repeated event that nobody ever learns from. And this is why everyone needs to read a goddamn history book once in a while, especially our leaders. Well, and it gets confusing. Yeah. I mean, for, for instance, with Reagan's involvement, a popular talking point of the left and, and online is that, you know, Reagan funded the Taliban. And while that is technically correct, there's some nuances there. He, he didn't really actually fund the Taliban as we Taliban, as we know them today, he funded the Mujahideen CIA correct. trained them. And then a lot of those members went on to form the Taliban. That's what happened. Uh, Muhammad Omar, I believe was one of the people that was trained, uh, as part of the Mujahideen un, with under the CIA and him and a lot of his followers then went on to form the Taliban. And so yeah. it's it's like one of those transitive property things. So yes, technically speaking, you can't lay the Taliban at Reagan's at Reagan's it, feet. It, it would kind of be like it would kind of be like if someone showed up um, to our podcast and was like, "Hey, Chris, I really like everything you talk about with revolution and that kind of thing, and I, I really like where you're going with this, and I like your ideas, and I want to help you out. So here's a Brazilian dollars, and <laughs> go ahead and and make it happen." And then, okay, so I start the Chris Revolutionary Party, and I cause a whole bunch of chaos and destruction trying to take over Jeff Bezos' house. And everyone could be like, wait, wait, that that guy funded him. And he'd be like, no, no, I funded the alt-left podcast. And that's kind of where we are. So, no, did Reagan fund the Taliban? No. Did every single person who formed the Taliban have CIA and Reagan-backed funds and armor and weapons and, and training? training? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Every single person who became the Taliban became that because of Reagan's influence while they were in the Mahjadeen. Well, and mostly because the United States can't keep its dick out of any place. Nope, nope. It belongs everywhere. You rub it all over the risk table. That's what we do, baby. America. Just, just everywhere. Imagine if the British Empire had no class. That's us. If we would just learn to leave everyone else the fuck alone. 90% 90% of the problems we have with the rest of the world wouldn't wouldn't have happened. Yes, yeah. but we are not a mature nation. We are a young nation with a fundamental problem with fundamentalism. We inherited the superpower status with nukes, not as people who came to releasing the age of empires and growing out of it and becoming a country involved in its own people and growth. Instead, we're just a kid who found his dad's gun. Yeah. With, with none of the responsibility or maturity needed to obtain it or get it. We, we, we hijacked a bunch of fucking Nazis, stole them, built rockets and guns and bombs with their knowledge and and hijacked our way into having nukes and taking over the world. So if the neighborhood kid with his dad's gun would just leave everybody else on the block the fuck alone, uh, his life would be a whole lot easier. But instead, he keeps waving it around so that everybody can see it and fucking up everything. And well, for profit, again, you know, we've talked about this in economic episodes. The U.S. used to be the only game in town after World War Two. We built our entire GDP off of that. And everyone talks about, oh, well, construction jobs and not construction jobs, but like, you know, industrial jobs and factory jobs. Yeah. Manufacturing has all left the U.S. because of overseas. And it's like, okay, no, no, because there was no global market for this for a while because everything got bombed to shit. That was a temporary situation and it's gone. We don't get to be number one forever. It was a fluke. It shouldn't have happened. And so now we're constantly trying to do everything to justify our place in the world. It's it's not going to happen. We're fucked. China and Germany are taking over the world. This is how it's going to be. And they'll fall one day. And that's where the idea of American exceptionalism comes from, is from that super prosperous time in history where we were the only game in town and 
we were the ones that supplied the world with everything. Mm-hmm. All of the innovation came out of the United States. All of the building materials, all of the steel, it all came from here. It's like the Ming and Qing Chinese empires of old, where they had a divine mandate to rule. It's like, it, it, same as the British monarchy. It's, it's, it's fucking garbage. There is no divine mandate. You don't. You are not exceptional. End of story. We are all yeah. human beings. There is no exception, and there should be no superpowers. And that's nuke-driven. Yeah. Look at how we completely police the world, and who's allowed to have a nuclear weapon? Now, don't get me wrong. I don't like the idea of a lot of people having nuclear weapons, but it seems pretty fucking hypocritical for us to walk around with our nukes and then tell everyone else that they're not allowed to have them. Yeah, especially yeah. countries that we oppress with things like sanctions and war. Anyway, we're very off topic. Back to Afghanistan. Yes. Yeah. Well, that pretty much covers Reagan. And then we touched on this briefly, but let me get a little more in depth with, with you know, basically the the, the transfer of power from the, uh, the Mujahideen to the Taliban. So basically what's happening is from 92, from 92 to 96 is where the Mujahideen leaders are essentially struggling for power, like Chris was saying. that It's that time frame. I know in the U.S. we kind of like this idea of just go in, you kill a bunch of people, and you win day one. But that's not really how it works in, in most places like this. It's There's a lot of infighting. It takes years for power to be firmly established. So that's what's going on in like 92 to 96. In 94 is when the Taliban emerge under Muhammad Omar. Uh, they're in southern uh, Kandahar. They take over the province and set up a rule under their basically super strict Islamist, Islamic interpretations, right? God, it's hot when you talk history. <laughs> like, you, you don't even know. Like, six to midnight in that last 40 seconds. <laughs> and then around uh, late 96, around September, I believe, is when uh, the Taliban capture Kabul after essentially just sweeping across the country. So, like, yep. Muhammad Omar is like, no, I'm fucking taking this shit over. And he just starts kind of like how the Taliban did it now. Probably with Wait, the, the, the Taliban sweeping over and jumping into Kabul super easily with barely any resistance and, and yep. incredibly fast. I mean, thought of I've heard this one before. Stop, stop. Yeah. I've heard this punchline. Yeah, and then from 96 to 2001, they're basically in charge. And a lot of people did welcome them because it ended the infighting. Uh, they had a heavy hand. You know, they, they're imposing strict Islamic edicts. But they're also denying women, you know, the right to vote and work and go to school and executions are happening left and right. And so this, you know, that's pretty much what's going on. And then March in 2001 is when they start. They, I think they made headlines by blowing up that that huge statue of Buddha. I don't know if you guys remember that or not. I don't. Yeah. 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 They blew up this huge statue of Buddha. And then later that year in 2001, we've got the 9-11 attacks. Okay. Basically, this is where Bush starts coming in and he gives, uh, he gives Mullah Omar an ultimatum. Basically it's hand over bin Laden. Muhammad Omar is a Mullah. Mullah is a title. Yeah. I'm, I'm transposing the two, but both are accurate. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 I'll just stick with Muhammad Omar for now. But Muhammad Omar, uh, he gets an ultimatum from Bush. Everybody's familiar with this. It's basically give us bin Laden or we're coming in to fuck you up. And of course, he's like, no, fuck you. We're not going to do that. So on October 7th, 2001, that's when the U.S. invades Afghanistan. And that's the start of all this shit. Now, pretty much everyone knows what's going on at this point. You know, we get in there in 2003. Like, we, we are pretty successful at pretty much pushing everyone out and and fucking shit up. We do what we said we were going to do. And so that's why like two years later around 2003, early 2003 is when Bush gives the, the shit that everybody's always makes fun of him for the mission accomplished speech. 
unfortunately, we decided at that point we were also going to go after Afghanistan because apparently they had weapons of mass destruction that Iraq. nobody's ever been able. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, Iraq. Well, I said Iraq. It's okay. Bush, yeah. Bush, no, you said Afghanistan, but again, oh, yeah. you know, remember sorry. Iraq. Yeah, Bush treated them interchangeably. He was like, yeah. "Oh, yeah. the Taliban attacked 9-11. so you well, know, I fuck mean, anyone I don't like. We know he wanted to go in there and make Daddy proud. So, like, once he was already in the Middle East, it's like, well, Iraq's right over there. Oh yeah, this was absolutely an excuse to go into Iraq. Yeah, one hundred percent. And it was shown to be a lie that there was weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. He lied about it. His his staff lied about it. Yeah, yeah. non CIA intelligence, farce. like European intelligence, told the UN there were none there. Yeah, yeah. of course. And there never was. They, they never proved anything. It, they they did it under false pretense. Everybody knows this. Yeah. And then, of course, you know they've got general elections going on in Afghanistan, and they elect uh, what's his name Karzai. Uh, he gets into off. You know, through elections. And of course, like, keep in mind that the puppet government the U.S. has installed here is just rife with corruption. Okay. Like, even the U.S. that's helping them are like, Jesus Christ, this this government's fucking corrupt. It's not going to last. We were getting reports on this well before Biden pulled us out, well before Trump started to pull us out. Like, We've known for a long, like since day one, that this government was corrupt and not going to do shit. All right. Yeah. And one of the biggest problems is we kept wanting to fix it, but refusing to do anything that fixed it. And of course, personnel on the ground just basically got tired of being told, hey, I need A, B, and C to do what you want. And being told, no, you don't get any of those things. Now fix it. And they just went, fine, it, it's fixed. You're good. Yeah. And like that led to a huge siphoning of money. You guys ever remember that? I mean, we're going to date ourselves here, but remember the Simpsons episode where you learn about Ned Flanders backstory and his parents are like hippies that just, they don't know what to do with him because he's a fucking wild child. And they go to a doctor and they're like, you got to help us, man. We've done nothing and we're all out of ideas. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And that's exactly what it is. And that's pretty much it, you know, and that's that's essentially what we left behind. Now, of course, like we're in there for, for this whole time. And then Obama comes in and runs on getting us out. And I'll give him his credit. He did try to run on getting us out. He definitely ran on getting us out. Oh, and yeah, I, I do. And I do believe he wanted to. But here's the problem. And this is where Obama and a lot of people like him are weak. They tend, I shouldn't say weak. Obama and a lot of other leaders, no, weak. good leaders, tend to tr- well, hold on. They tend to trust people uh, around them. They 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 try to put people in place that they consider experts in things that they're not good at, and then they trust those expert, experts. With the situation in Afghanistan, this is what happened. All the Joint Chiefs basically went to him when he was like, "I want us out of there," and they're like, "No, we're gonna, we got to keep fighting because reasons, because war, because you know, freedom, democracy, eagles." And Obama just kind of went, "Oh, okay." Okay, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, for the same reason that they were totally the the stop the stopgap that stopped you know Trump from becoming our new dictator, yeah, is what made them good. Is what makes them bad with everything else. And you have to look at them the way Kennedy saw them. These guys cannot be trusted to tell you hard truths, and they cannot be trusted to do the right thing. The Joint, it's kind of like again we talked about this before, like at, expect you know with that with that that comment we had from a listener where they were talking about that you know well what about capitalism breaking up big organizations like you cannot expect a company to do anything except seek quarterly profits that yep. is what a corporation is and that is only mission its only mission is to seek quarterly profits and it will do only that and it will put all effort into only that the joint chiefs of staff and the pentagon have one job to keep the american empire going 
to keep Americans safe from the outside. And it doesn't matter who has to die or get pushed around or get assassinated. It doesn't fucking matter. All the CIA and the Joint Chiefs care about are keeping the empire afloat. And they will tell any president whatever they need to to keep the empire afloat. And Afghanistan was really good for business for the military industrial complex. And that caused a huge transfer of cash from the American taxpayer to the military. Mm -hmm. And that is what they see as the greatest good. Is it good? No. But from their perspective, they're not twiddling mustaches and hoping more people die. They're saying they're, they're, they're shining bronze stars and not caring if people die. Yeah, they are here for the empire. They're here to serve fucking Rome. And if you can see them in that way, it makes it make a lot of sense. But presidents don't like to do that. They like to think that the Joint Chiefs are here to serve the president. And they're not. They're here to keep the empire going. Yep. So what do you've got during Obama's reign? So he comes in. You've got a puppet government that's rife with corruption. And and keep in mind, it's not like this is unknown to the like it's known to us. It's especially known to the people of Afghanistan. They hate this fucking government. They know it's corrupt. They hate it. And so the Taliban starts getting footholds again. I'm saying Taliban's like such a fucking redneck. And I apologize yes. now, but I can't make Taliban, it come out right. but whatever. It's, it's But anyway, Taliban, 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 whatever. But like they start regaining footholds in there. We've chased. Keep in mind, we had chased them out. But now they're getting in in roads with little pockets here and there. Not full-blown. But when Obama comes in, he's like, okay, we want to pull out now. The Joint Chiefs are going to come in and be like, no, no. They're getting footholds. We've got to stop this. And that's where they recommend the surge. If you guys remember this in 2009, the Joint Chiefs were like, no, we want to do a surge. And basically what this was is like, no. They were going for that, again, like I said earlier, that big American win. Bombard them with troops. Push more in there and just fucking, you know, stomp them out. This is what we're going to do. Exact same flawed policy in Vietnam. Yep, exactly, exactly. And Obama goes with it. And and this is the one thing I will give Biden credit on. Biden was against doing this. He was public about it. He didn't want to do it. Obama is ultimately the one that decided to do it. And they deployed tens of thousands more troops to Afghanistan to make this happen. Mm Mm-hmm. He said, and then publicly came out and said the U.S. troops would help create the conditions for the United States to transfer responsibility to the Afghans. Now, keep in mind, transfer responsibility to the same government that we already know is corrupt, that was already, that the people were already, most of, a lot of the people were against. How are we going to do that? We're just going to repeat what we've been doing that hasn't been working. And that, again, this is where Obama has some blame in this, too. Then we've got Trump coming along, and we don't need to go too much into that. This is one of the few things where I think Trump was right on, in as much as Trump can be right, this idea of pulling us out. You know, this this notion got a lot of steam under Trump. He was going to pull us out. Whatever his rhetoric was, I'm not going to get into it, and I don't want to give more credence to Trump's time. The facts are that Trump said, Let us get, let's get us out of there, and started making roads inroads to do that. Biden came in and did it, and what here's what we know. Biden knew from day one that the Taliban were going to come in behind us and sweep the country. What Biden is claiming is he didn't expect it to happen as quickly as it did. And here's the thing. There's evidence to support that. All the people Mm -hmm. that we trained were sitting there. Oh, yeah, we've got this. We've got your back. We've got this country. They were giving him the thumbs up saying we've got this. Now, our intelligence told us otherwise. The guys with the boots on the ground knew that that the uh, the soldiers we'd installed were didn't give a shit. We're, we're on the take, and we're just going to lay down arms. But nobody listened. 
and officially they had 200,000 troops. Yeah. In actuality, they had more like uh, 80 or so thousand, 75,000 troops uh, throughout the country. So they, they, they told us they had three times the amount of troops that they actually had. Yeah. But the but but regardless of what of all the finger pointing like he said she said this was going to be messy regardless because we didn't actually do anything but fuck with the country for 20 years. We didn't put any pillars of support for democracy. We installed a puppet no. government that was just as corrupt as any puppet government has ever been that wasn't going to stand up to a bunch of armed, organized people that had 50% of the country on their side. It's the exact same failed policies in Iran, in Vietnam. Every time we do this, it's the same thing. We install a puppet who sucks ass and is clearly on the take for us and then wonder why, why don't people like that? I said all that to say this. The common debate that's being had right now is whose fuck up is this? Was it Biden's? No, it was Trump's. Trump did this. Biden did this. Trump did that. But if you're listening, I don't care if you're left, right, center, up, down, diagonal. That argument is fucking stupid because it's the wrong one. If you want to know who's responsible for all the turmoil in Afghanistan and the Middle East, it's the American people. And every single leader they have elected to power. We've, we hold responsibility to this because we elect nothing but warmongers. It doesn't matter if you check off the D or the R. We are consistently voting for people that are war hawks. This is one of the things, many things that Democrats and Republicans agree on. Let's fuck up other countries that we don't agree with, even though we're just as guilty as committing the same atrocities that they are. And sometimes, many times, way worse atrocities. Like, you want to talk about oppressing women? Look what Texas just fucking did. Yeah. You want to talk about detaining people illegally? We've got an illegal detention facility in another country. What do you think Guantanamo Bay is? We have a, illegal detention facilities here, all over the world, all over the place, yeah. and here yeah. in the United States. Yeah. You know, remember, yeah. Chicago PD has a torture warehouse. Exactly what I was thinking about. You know, we have kids in cages at the border. There is not a single atrocity you can lay at the feet of any foreign nation that the U.S. hasn't done or is currently doing in spades. And that expects others to not hold us accountable for the cleanup. You know, Vladimir Putin, who I don't cheer on because Vladimir Putin's not a good guy. I'll give Vladimir Putin one thing and one thing only. He is exactly what he says he is. Vladimir Putin cares about Russia. He really does. He wants Russia to be a, a world power and he wants to support his own country. But he's a dirty son of a bitch and he does dirty son of a bitch things. And one of the things he pointed out, though, was he was basically saying, wait, because this is something the U.S. actually does. When we take in refugees from other nations, we actually hold them. So like people who come in from like refugees, like religious persecuted or forever, whatever reason, religious uh, refugees who come in from like Iran, Somalia, um, these areas, we hold them in other countries. A lot of them, Italy is actually one of the biggest holding areas and we hold yeah. them there until we vet them. They get held there. And before they come into the country, and this is what they're doing right now in the Southern border of Mexico is they're making them. That's what, that's what Trump made them do is hold them in Mexico. And then we can vet them. Um, and then we vet them and then maybe they can come into the United States. And it's like, why, why is that fucking Italy's problem? Why is that fucking Mexico's problem? Like, why is someone coming up from Guatemala or El Salvador Mexico's problem to hold them while we decide whether or not they can come in? And Vladimir Putin basically made that example. Like, wait, they're not safe enough to come into the United States while you vet them? Then why are they safe enough to come into Russia? Screw you. 
and was very public, made public statements saying, why should Russia house um, refugees? Why don't they go straight into the United States? The United States caused this. And that's fucking fair. We do that. And that's what's going on right now. We Mm -hmm. have all these refugees that we've created and we refuse to bring them in. Now, someone, here's an unpopular opinion. Uh, All the Americans there who are trapped, I don't care about them. I don't care one bit about them. Two reasons. Number one, they've had all the fucking time in the world. Trump announced this shit, what, a year and a half ago, two years ago? Biden announced this months ago that this was going on. Like the timetable has always been there. You could have booked a flight and gotten the fuck out anytime you wanted. You stayed because you thought the new government was going to last for some stupid reason. And everyone who's there, by the way, is a war profiteer. These aren't Americans who are there to be fruit sellers because they just want to sell cabbages out of a cart in Afghanistan. No, 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 no. This isn't the fucking cabbage cart guy. These are war profiteers. These are warmongers. These are absolute pigs. These are people who are making tons of money off of human suffering and American imperialism. Fuck them. I don't care. Let them stay. Yeah, I would agree with you. Yeah. What I care about is the people. Is the people who we've put death sentences on, basically, for helping us. Uh, Again, basically the collaborators who, again, I don't feel a whole lot of sympathy for. But I do feel more because these are people who are in a rock and a hard place. No pun intended. And they, um, Trump screwed them over. That Whatever his name was, the the anti-Semitic guy who was part of his team. was the one who made it super hard. Bolton? Yeah, who who made it. Not Bolton. Was it Kushner? Yeah, I think it's Kushner. um, Who made it super difficult. Kushner is Jewish. Oh, it's not Kusha. Who's the who's the anti-Semitic guy? Anyway, dude, that's a pretty big like that's yeah. a vague description. And Trump's it, it, it's, you know, it's a wide blanket. It doesn't matter. Anyway, the guy who was responsible for the refugee stuff, who made it ten times harder for refugees to come in, and for the guys in Afghanistan who who helped through translators and helped support us in the war, made it almost impossible for them to get inside the country. Now, Biden doesn't do anything about it. And it's like, so it's like, yeah, I don't blame Biden for the screw up. There was no way we were going to pull out of Afghanistan and a sunshiny rainbow day was going to happen. It just doesn't work that way. You can't conquer a country for 10 years and then jump out and everything's fine. Just again, look what happened to India after the British left. And they left under way better terms. And yeah. India was far more stable. But again, everyone's fretting about the Taliban taking over. It's like the Taliban's the rightful government of Afghanistan. They literally rose from the ashes of the Russian invasion governed the country successfully and we went in and disposed them and they have now taken back over not just through force but through popular mandate of the people Mm -hmm. say what you want about the taliban they're not good dudes but they're not corrupt they fucking feed people now they do things like make child soldiers and you know cut women in half for being raped like i'm not supporting them the taliban sucks but that's what the people want, and it's, that's what they want because that's what we've driven them to. That, And by we, I mean us, the British, the Russians, the West, the Eurocentric, racist, Islamophobic West has forced this hand. And the only reason Hamas is popular in, in Palestine is because of what we've done with Israel. Like, we have caused this at every single turn and uh it's cost us quite a bit of lives and money to get there well we've made them people so desperate that the taliban look good think about that that's essentially what happened the reason the taliban have so much support is because we've made it so that the afghan people look at us look at the taliban and go no i'm gonna go with those guys and we and we we did make the taliban look good um oh yeah and (laughs) and we did that uh by throwing billions of dollars 
and and not just billions literally uh it's cost the united states 2.26 trillion dollars since 2001 so in 20 years we've spent 2.2 trillion dollars on this war in afghanistan and it's not just a monetary cost because monetary costs whatever that's an analogous term we don't you know try to try to picture 2.2 billion of anything in your brain it's not possible yeah it's it's, it's an unfathomable fucking number yeah um so so it really doesn't matter because money to the united states is nothing because we just continue to go into debt to the tune of like 550 trillion dollars anyway let's talk about it in terms of the human cost Okay, the human cost, American service members killed in Afghanistan. Uh, this is through April of this year, 2,448. Okay, uh, U.S. contractors. So these are people that work with the U.S. military that are not technically uh, military service members. 3,846. So apparently they, they die much quicker, which is, is sad. Don't get me wrong. Afghan national military and police, uh, 66,000. So over the past 20 years, the U.S. has gotten 66,000 Afghan military and police officers killed uh, fighting the Taliban. Yep. Other allied service members, so these include anyone else, uh, any other country from NATO members, uh, there's 1,144 of them that have died. Uh, Afghan civilians, so people just collateral damage, uh, 47,245. And that, that, that's deaths, right? That's not including the insane amount of children who are missing legs. No, no, no. The, these, are, these are deaths. These are people dead. Uh, we are not talking about all of the other things that have happened to people. We're not talking about the service members that have come back that have horrible PTSD and and all of those things. So Taliban and other opposition fighters. So these are the people that we were fighting against. So we've killed 51,191 of them. Aid workers. So these are people that just, they're trying to help out with whatever organization they went there with. Uh, 444. Uh, journalists, which, you know, whatever. Uh, journalists, 72. And... When I say whatever with the journalists, they're part of the, as much the problem as anybody else, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know if I'd call them the problem, um, but I would definitely say definitely they don't have... They're definitely not the solution. They, yeah. they are not aid workers. No, I think the, the journalists on the ground in the field, I think they're doing the good work. I think it's the people in the newsrooms that end up causing more problems. The editors, uh, the producers, those are the ones that are taking the facts and distorting them to fit the narrative. I think the answer is in the middle between those two. I don't think the journalists are the problem. I also don't think they're doing good work. They tend to be cheerleaders for war because even if they're not necessarily taking a side of why this is good, they're the ones who are risking life and limbs so they can catch great shots of bombs going off and, and track troop movements and that kind of thing. And they're not doing it for any goal other than to sell newspapers and sell airtime. And, and that's kind of how I feel about they are, it. They are war profiteers as well. Now, again, I don't hold them in the same regard as I hold soldiers or Taliban fighters, 
but I also don't hold them in the same victimhood of civilian casualties because they volunteered to go. The people in Afghanistan, the, the, the Afghan citizens who were blown up by drone strikes from us didn't fly there to make money. Agreed. That's where they live. They are victims. So it's like, for me, I don't think that news reporters are villains per se, but they're also not innocent either. Yeah, I, I agree. They're not villains, but they're not victims either. Uh, they are there willingly, willingly. They went there for this specific thing, and 72 of them lost their lives, which this many people having lost their lives in general is tragic. Yes. For a war that literally has accomplished nothing, because we, we were there for 20 years, we killed countless, uh, or, or not countless numbers of people, but we killed a lot of people both our own, you know, Afghan people, the Taliban. Mm-hmm. And what have we received for it? Very little. Even in all of the things that we did get out of it, we still didn't get anything there. We accomplished nothing. We went there. We were supposed to be pushing back the Taliban and, and taking them out of control. And then 20 years later, we leave and the Taliban go, go back to control. Whether you like them or not, we accomplished very little. Yeah, except for making some people rich and making some people dead. Well, yeah, and and that's that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. We spent 2.26 billion dollars or trillion with a T, 2.26 trillion dollars and we killed over 300,000 people in 20 years. And I would like to talk about that number, that two billion number or two trillion yeah. number. Sorry, two trillion. Trillion. This is an unfathomable number. And a couple of numbers here. What could, if we hadn't have gone into Afghanistan? Right. Uh huh. Not only could we have, let's say, done Joe Biden's fucking plan of completely redoing our infrastructure, changing to green energy, replacing the roads, all yes. that. We could have completely massively improved the country that way. Or what I think would be a better expenditure. So, so okay, so the average American, the cost, not what they necessarily pay, but the the, the cost of insuring an American is seven, a little over $7,400 a year, $7,470 per person right obviously mm-hmm. that goes up and down depending on a whole bunch of categories but if you average it all out it's 7470 per person how many people in america are uninsured currently the number is about 27.5 million now again this is pre-covid number pre-covid 27.5 million but that's okay because the afghan is the afghan war is pre-covid 27.5 million so if we do the math Again, this isn't doing any kind of infrastructure change. This isn't giving people single-payer health care where we can negotiate cheaper rates. This is assuming we're going to pay for the same broken, overly expensive health care system. The worst-case scenario to insure every American. If we just picked up the dollar out of the tab and paid the insurance bill for every single uninsured American, $205.4 billion. That is a tenth of the Afghan war. We could have insured every single American. What, what it means is, is for the first 10 years. Yes. The cost of this war could have insured at the most expensive rate possible with no changes, every single uninsured American for 10 years. Um, also, it would cost the, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development has stated it would cost about $20 billion to house every single homeless person. $20 billion. Yeah, that's $20 to, billion. to put them into a home. Yes. $20 billion. We could have ended homelessness in America. So for $225 billion, we could have en- ended homelessness and insured every uninsured American for a year 
at the most expensive rate possible. And the most common argument you get from people against this, but it will cost too much money. So, and this is where the, the argument from the left comes. If we've got the money for war, we've got the money to do this. It's not an issue of not having the money. It's an issue of you don't give a fuck about poor people without health insurance, but you sure as fuck give a fuck about killing people in another country that you think are bad. Yep. Yeah, it has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with will. Yeah. And who you value is who you value. Well, yeah, who's of humans? But it's it's having the will to do the things that we want to do that are necessary. And people that are warmongers see war as being necessary. Yeah. They see going into Afghanistan and showing the Taliban who's boss and killing Osama bin Laden who we created in the first place to hate us as necessary. They see that as necessary. Yeah. Cause again, these people care only for the empire continuing. Yeah. Yeah. And just to give you guys, some, I want to put some perspective on there just so everyone knows this, just to give you an idea of how much a million versus a billion versus a trillion is. So 1 million seconds approximately is about 12 days. 1 billion seconds is about 31 years, and then 1 trillion seconds is approximately 31,700 years. And real quick, this is the difference between millionaires and billionaires when I talk about killing the rich. We're talking about billionaires, and there's a huge fucking difference. That's the difference that we're talking about. Putting it in terms like this should give you an idea of how exponentially, how, how incredibly much more a billion versus a million is a trillion is versus a billion. There is so much that we could have done and fixed, not just with our country, but with this planet in the 20 years that we've been funneling money into this war without question. And we've chosen not to do it. And the American people have happily chosen. And again, this is beyond left or right at this point, Democrats, Republicans, left leaners, right leaners. They've all been for this. Overwhelmingly, this war was popular. It was. Let's put it into a little bit different term, too. $2.26 trillion comes out to be $300 million per day. $300 million a day. That's how much money we spent every day to continue the war in Afghanistan. Now, I'm curious, what are we going to do with the $300 million a day that we're not spending there anymore? I'm sure it will go to the poor and the needy. Oh, I'm sure it will. Uh, will it go to insure the uh, the uninsured? Of course, duh. That's the that's what we do here in this country. No, 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 no. Shit, no. Yeah, no. It's no. It's that's not too much going. money, guys. Doing that would cost too much. Did you get? Yeah, it? it would cost too much money. It would it would cost more than three hundred million dollars a day. Yes, to... you know the, the the those liberals like to spend all this money on entitlements. Yeah, we got to save that two trillion for more war. Yeah. Because, you know, we're already, we're already gearing up for Russia and China. Don't forget those those poor, poor uh, rich people. They need tax breaks too, man. Yeah, we're they're, still going to subsidize really oil companies. hard this year, you know? Stop thinking about poor people, you selfish bastard. Think about those poor millionaires. All of that's going to trickle down to us, uh, the lowly working I, I class. Feel oh, some trickling oh down yeah, right we, now, we, yeah. we, will feel, we will feel a trickle. That's yeah. <laughs> not rain. It's a golden shower. <laughs> yep. Yeah, the, the point is, is that this was an unnecessary war. It was an unnecessary occupation. All American wars are unnecessary. And I was getting to that. <laughs> I, w- I was just going to say, we do this time and time again all over the world. 
you know, yep. we have we as Americans have the most extensive network of military bases all over the world by far more than any other country. What other country do you know that has military bases in other countries that are technically American soil? Yeah, none. We're the only country that does this. Yeah, yeah we're the only and country. We don't fucking leave. We get there and we don't leave. And we do this to our allies. I mean, we yeah, have military yeah. bases in all of our allies' nations as well. I mean, this yeah. is this is this is the American way. We have bases all over the world. I mean, we talk about the aggression of Iran. If you look at a map of military bases around Iran, they're surrounded. We've completely surrounded Iran with military bases. That's what we do, and that's imperialism. Yep. And to quote my boy, my boy Vladimir Lenin, uh, Im- imperialism is the advanced form of capitalism. We've got to keep the empire going, and that takes blood, money, and oil. Long story short, folks, I'm happy that we're out of Afghanistan. As am I. How about we stay the fuck out? Yeah, Yeah, how about we stay out, and I just don't see that happening. Nope. I think that long term, somebody's going to figure out some reason for us to go back. I don't even think it'll be that. I think we'll just start bombing the shit out of women and children again with drones. We've already started doing it. We've been doing it. We don't stop. Yeah. Like what all we've learned is that it's politically not a good idea to send boots on the ground. That that's literally the lesson that's been learned. So now we'll just, you know, bomb them from far away. Yes. And, and tell the world that they had weapons of mess. Absolutely. That's what we do. You know that schoolhouse that just got blown up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was bombs in there. Terrorist training camp. Absolutely. That's yeah. why do you think you Israel know, has host- to blow up hospitals and schools? That's what yeah. that's what we do. Where they they learned it from us. Everything Israel does by blowing up infrastructure like power plants and medicine factories and hospitals and schools, they learned that from us. Mm-hmm. Wow, what a happy conversation we're having today. I'm feeling it, guys. Feeling Bring it, it in, Matt. Give, give us some good news from the mailbag. <laughs> Actually, unfortunately, today that's not gonna happen. Well, it's not bad news, but uh, a little bit of a correction. Uh, so we were talking, you know, about uh, the thing with Candace Owens, Owens last week, and and we were a little bit unfair to uh, TD Gamer because we didn't quite represent his position accurately. We just skimmed it. Um, and he mentioned that I did put the poll up asking people where they landed on the Candace Owens thing. Big surprise. Most of our followers on Twitter agree with us that, you know, fucker, <laughs> she deserves it. Yep. Um, but so one thing TD Gamer did post, he's like, uh, my view, which wasn't completely expressed on the show, is that by, by denying her a test, not only are we discouraging positive behavior, but we are giving her a free pass to continue to move around as if she is negative and putting others at risk. My concern is for others she may meet. And, and that's true. He did say that in our original thing to discuss that. We didn't quite go into the nuance of that. We focused more on the fact that he was just for her getting it and not why. And I think nuance is important. He's not it like pro Candace Owens or anything. And I think sure. we kind of made him out to be a little bit pro pro her in that, you know. Um, and and, and uh, apologies to you if that's what we did, sir. Uh, that is not what I, I – I never felt at any point you were pro Candace Owens. None I, I did, viewed yeah. your viewpoint no, as simply no. you, you feel we should be unbiased and who gets the help. And I would make a point that Candace Owens has refused to wear a mask, runs around unvaccinated. And one of the things she even bragged about was that her husband had COVID and she slept next to him and still continued to go to work. 
and interact with people. She was already running around and getting a positive test result. Again, her husband became positive. Getting a positive test result would not have changed her behavior. In fact, she probably been like, ha ha, I got a positive test result, but I'm fine. COVID's bullshit. And run off to the grocery store and go lick all the fruit. She's an asshole, doesn't care about harming others, and it would not have changed her behavior because to change your behavior after getting a positive COVID test requires a tiny amount of empathy or at least personal responsibility. Yeah. And Candace Owens is a white nationalist and doesn't have those things. Yeah, you got it. So anyway, I just wanted to clarify that to make sure that we made yeah, this point. Absolutely. Well. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, we are sorry about that. Uh, TD gamer. We wanted to make sure that everyone's aware that you aren't some Candace Owens lo- loving, you know, left wing shill or something like that. Yes. And please take heart that none of us thought you were. Uh, yeah. At I'm all. Sorry Not if we betrayed bit. you that way. We, yeah. No, I don't think we were like we did so intentionally. I think we just kind of skimmed yeah. over the nuance of his position to just say, oh, he thinks she should get it. And and that is well, that's true. There, it, The details in that position are important, especially when you're talking about somebody else. Uh, these yeah. disagreements, I think, again, we, I get where he's coming from. It's not a bad point. I just disagree with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and then of course, like I said, we, we ran that poll and, and I think there was only one person that voted, uh, for being against it. I'm going to guess that was TD gamer. Uh, there were a couple of people that were on the fence. So sharing base head phase position, you know, mm-hmm. and I get that. I understand being on the fence, but overwhelmingly yeah. 70% of the people that responded to the poll were, were on our side with it. And as I expected, so there's the update for that. The other one we got is from listener drew. Uh, this one is a little general. He's asking about current events. So he's saying the Texas legislature's quorum rules are defined as requiring two thirds of active seats to be established. That's why the current threshold is 99 as there are two vacant seats. If the Democrats resign, how is making the threshold lower ultimately helpful for their arguments against the legislative agenda? This is him talking about your position uh, about uh, the Democrats leaving yes. uh, as opposed to just resigning. Um, so, okay, I don't, I, I wasn't saying that I think resigning was the best way to go. Again, my, my, my point is let's just go ahead and hang them, but they wouldn't do that. So the next best thing is no, I think they should stay and fight. What I didn't like was that they ran away to Washington DC for absolute performative bullshit. It was nothing but virtue signaling. They ran away to DC and went, see, we're resisting. They can't pass laws if we're not here. And then, you know, the governor and everyone was in the Senate was the state Senate was like, okay, well, we're gonna go ahead and, you know, issue fines and penalties and 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 no, they couldn't pass the laws. They couldn't hold a quorum. And so they started issuing warrants for their arrest and that kind of thing. And all of them folded. They just went, okay, I guess we'll go back home. And it was like, what the fuck did you do then? You didn't do anything. It was virtue signaling. A little bit. Yeah. If they had gone to DC and said, I absolutely 100% refuse to go back or I resign, that would have at least been a stance that harmed them personally would have been a stance where they would have had to take a risk. But all they did is the same thing as like when, God, what was it? When the squad, Nancy Pelosi ordered fucking pizzas during the Trump administration to fight something. I forgot what it was, but it was all bullshit. And it's the same thing. They ran away to D.C. for a few weeks and then went back home and the law got passed anyway. So what good did they do? Yeah. It was performative. And that was my problem with it. It's either shit or get off the pot. Either sit there and fight it out. And yeah, you might lose. And here's the thing. Again, I've said this before. I'm not even the biggest fan of democracy. Democracy is people voting it out to which which majority will control the other ones as slaves. I'm not a big fan of it. But if you're going to sit here and say, I love democracy and democracy needs to be the way like you are as an elected candidate in Texas, then you have to let the will of the voters be heard. And you're not doing that. And it's that game, that running away so they can't hold quorum. 
that's a Republican tactic. That's a conservative tactic, and I don't support it. And fuck them. They should have stayed and fought. If they weren't going to do that, if they were going to run away to D.C., which isn't what I would have done, then they should have stayed there permanently or they should have resigned in disgust and actually made some kind of fucking sacrifice for this democracy they say they love so much. But they don't. They, They wanted to keep their jobs. They wanted to keep their paychecks. So they went back. And nothing changed. I'll get ahead. I, I'm sure some people are listening to Chris right now thinking, well, you know, what, you know, how can they say they love it if they refuse to try and change from within? And I'm just going to get you ahead of you guys there. Chris doesn't believe in change from within. Nope. He's a revolutionary. He's not a reformist. And so, and, and many, and I've got to say, I, I'm finding it harder and harder to be on the side of the reformists. I, I just don't see any time where change from within is successful. Oftentimes what you get is exactly what we were just talking about. You get performance art. And no real yep. change. The the only thing I have to say to um, the reformism argument is that the reformism argument should be, okay, then yeah, do exactly that. Go to DC and fucking stay there. Hold them hostage as long as you can. But that's a revolutionary act. That's not, that's hey, not reform. I, underst- I understand it is, but you're holding up the process. Okay, but right? that's not democracy. You're, you're, no, but you're still working within the system. To no, do you're it. not. You're holding the system hostage. If well, you leave and that's the fine. system you and refuse still... to hold, that's not working within it. You can still hold it hostage, man. No, th- you can, but that's not working within the system. That's not reform. I think in case Miney's talking in the context of them not resigning their positions, using their positions. I mean, because they're still technically like. Yeah, using I, I their position to, to yeah. stop something from happening and that is not how the system is supposed to function that's not how democracies or republics work supposed to or that it it shouldn't work that way but that's the way it does work and sometimes you can use that to your advantage yes and that's exactly what would come out of the mouth of mitch mcconnell that look around and see who the Uh, people who do what you're describing do you that's that's uh, what republicans do that's what conservatives do okay i'm i'm just saying that like if you were going to do that then fucking do it. Yeah, but that's how that's how we have the Supreme Court we have now. Uh, I, I I don't follow. The, the Republicans absolutely refused to vote on Supreme Court justices, which is why what's his name didn't get in, and we had what's his name Matt um, Garland. Yeah, Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland was supposed to be a Supreme Court justice, and he absolutely should have been. But the Republicans were like, well, technically, we can just refuse to vote and not do our jobs and not court democracy and just and just fuck everything up. It completely jammed works. That's not how it's supposed to function. Everything got fucked because of it. And you're talking about doing the same kind of shenanigans. No. How about we have the will of the voters? You're talking about subverting democracy and the will of voters. That's what you're talking about right now. You're saying they should protest it, even though the voters of Texas have put the representatives they wanted in power, and those representatives are doing what the people want them to do. You're talking about subverting that will. That's not reformism. Okay. That's obstructionism. Yeah. Well, okay, but then then you can't say you believe in reform from within or changing the system from within because it's not. He advocating that he believes in it. He was just suggesting that that's another no, avenue they could take. Yeah, but what I'm saying is we were talking that in the in the gist of not having any revolutionary activity, but having some kind of act within the system. And I'm saying that's that's not that. I'm not saying it's wrong. Again, I, I'm with you that it's. I don't think it's ethically wrong to gum up the system for the right thing. People talk about the the January 6th protest, uh, the, the march on you know DC to try to fuck things up. 
I'm not against marching on the Capitol. I'm against marching on the Capitol to put a dictator in. Yeah. <laughs> so, Waving banners mm-hmm. of white supremacy along the way and, as you do exactly. it. Exactly. It's the message. And so yeah. I don't have a problem with that. But what I have a problem with is, is we can't is there's too much of it's OK as long as it's our side. Because I, no, I wasn't saying that it's OK as long as it's our side. But if you're going to do it, then fucking do it. Yeah, but they just went right back home. And that's the problem. Yeah, they yeah, did. That, that's the whole point. Kay's agreeing with your point. He's saying it's weak that they didn't, that, that they just went back home. If they were going to go to DC, they should have fucking stayed here. That's the point he's making. Correct. Yeah. But then I don't want, and again, I'm, I'm not going directly after Kay, but I'm going after that point that if you agree with that, then you don't believe in democracy, which is fine. I don't think that's a wrong thing. It's not a trick question. I think democracy is flawed, and I don't think it's a good system. But if you believe that it's okay for that performative measure, even if you think it goes beyond performative, you actually like go there and stay there, never come back. Don't let this shit happen, which I actually think would be a good thing. I think they should have just camped out in DC uh-huh. forever. But then you can't say, I also love democracy and I don't like it when people do undemocratic things. Like it's one or the other. It's we either believe in doing what is necessary to protect Americans or we believe in working within the system, but we can't do both. And I guess that's my gripe is that too many people, I'm not going after you personally, too many people want both. They want to say democracy is great and we need to change from within and we need to make the system a little better. And then they also like, also when Pelosi agrees with it, we should hijack the whole fucking system. And we should have, you know, again, it's the same people who typically want Biden to put 700 justices on the Supreme Court, thinking that won't bite everyone in the ass a couple of years later. You know, it's it's you can't say I want norms and it's wrong to violate norms and then immediately cheer for Biden to put justices on and violate all the norms. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. That's what bothers me with centrists and centrist center leaning liberals in this country is th- there's so much like Republicans. It scares me. The, po- the people who cheer on Pelosi and that kind of shit is it's way too much of it's OK as long as it's the people I like doing it. Fair enough. Matt, anything else? No, that that's what I've got. Uh, that was a spirited debate. Um, but yeah, I, I think if we're going to take anything from this, it's that we have no problem with debating amongst each other. We have no problem with correcting ourselves when we've been shown to be wrong. 100%. And uh, American imperialism is bullshit and should stop. I don't know Agreed. what you're talking about. Yeah. But thank you, as always, to all of our listeners. Uh, the last thing I did want to announce, though, I do have one thing, is... Uh, I've had those polls up for a while about who's uh, what our next episode is going to be. The audience is going to pick. I've come up with three answers. I will be posting a poll next Monday when this comes out. What are those three answers? Ooh, top three. I like it. All right. So we've got one, a deep dive into the Iran-Contra affair. Okay. Ooh. Uh, the other one was doing a a collaboration with either Bearded Cynic for his history podcast or the left flank vets. We've actually gotten that a couple of times. A lot of people have been recommending we connect with them. I've heard a lot of good things from what I've seen from them. They, they, they seem like they're right up, right up our alley, but they want us to like, people are saying we should collaborate with them on a topic, maybe even Afghanistan. Although we just talked about Afghanistan, but it's a different angle. You get it from veterans. That was another one. Fair enough. The last one was a deep dive into, uh, cause somebody had mentioned it from our religious talk topic when we, we talked a little bit about this, but a deep dive into the truths behind Mother Teresa and Gandhi. Oh, yes. A sadist and a pedophile. Nice. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I was digging that. Like, I'm going to be honest. For for as much as we talk about politics, we don't hit religion enough here. And I want to hit both of those. 
I was pulling for a Ron Contra until I heard, ooh, Mother Teresa and God. Those are some people who need to be taken down from the pedestals we put they, them on. They were yeah. not the people that everyone thought they were. At no, fucking they all. Terrible humans. Yeah, so I'll be putting those three options up as a poll. Uh, I'm going to try to make it last for about seven seven days so everyone's got plenty of time to vote. Uh, but I'll post it up. You guys can vote. Whichever one gets the most votes, that'll be it. Just a reminder, every... Every 50 subscribers that we get on Spotify, will be doing some sort of a bonus. Uh, we might have you guys pick the episode. We might have, you know, one of our listeners on for a quick chat. We might do a live stream, something like that as a bonus for you guys, just to say thank you for continuing to support us, to get the podcast out there, to help it grow. Are seeing those numbers increase every day. We're actually closing on after the communism socialism episode and then the uh, Joel Ventresca interview, uh, our, our subscriber base on YouTube skyrocketed too. Awesome. Um, so yeah, keep sharing it. We're focusing on Spotify right now. So if you can drive your friends, drive your family to that, that platform and every 50 we'll do a bonus for you guys for just a way to th- say thank you. And remember, if you're in California, vote Joel Ventresca. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then one more final shout out to Brit's dad. Thank you for all your support. You've been great. Every night I do pray to my linen candle in your name. (laughs) But yeah, that's all I got for mine. Thanks, guys. Beautiful. Well, thank you. Thank you, everyone, for being here. I know Afghanistan is not the fluffiest, happiest topic, but you know most of ours aren't. We keep choking about that, but our show's a bummer. So thanks for being here for the bummer. We love you guys. (laughs) And uh, we will be here again in your ear holes next week. So thanks for joining us. We'll see you then. Until then, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. And remember, the revolution is you.